0: Hello and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online, and I'm joined today by our news editor Nick Bostock and senior reporter Luke Haynes to talk about the latest news stories affecting general practice. Coming up, we'll be talking about the latest workforce and appointment statistics for general practice in England. We'll also be discussing what's happening about specialist status for GPs and the latest developments in the Rebuild General Practice campaign and we'll be taking a look ahead to next week's UK LMC's conference and rounding off with a bit of good news about a gardening GP. That's all to come on this week's Talking General Practice. First up today, last week we reported on the latest GP workforce figures and data on appointments in general practice, and they paint a pretty bleak picture about how hard practices are currently working. Nick, what did the figures actually show?
1: The figures show that general practice is delivering more appointments with fewer GPs, essentially. The NHS lost 369 full-time equivalent fully qualified GPs between March last year and March this year. So there are currently 1.3% fewer GPs than there were a year ago. And basically, despite government promises to increase the GP workforce, over the past year, general practice has lost a bit more than one doctor every day. And at the same time, the number of appointments delivered in general practice has increased. General practice delivered... 29.7 29.7 million appointments in March this year. It's around four million more than the previous month and nearly two and a half million up from the same month in 2021 and that, excluding work on, uh, on on COVID jabs. Um, so what that means is that general practice delivered 10% more appointments per GP in March 2022 than it did in March 2021, which is obviously a massive increase.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a pretty bleak picture in terms of of workload. I mean, the workforce figures come out very regularly. And despite us reporting on record numbers of trainees entering the profession, it's clear that we're losing more doctors than we're putting in, either by people cutting back on their hours or retiring early.
1: Yeah. So as you mentioned, there's record numbers of trainees entering general practice. We've seen uh, record recruitment figures from Health Education England for several years in a row. And the latest workforce data show that the number of full-time equivalent GP trainees in March 2022 in these statistics from NHS Digital was up nearly 15% compared with the previous March. So there are now more than 8,200 GP trainees coming through the system, which is a really substantial number. But even with this large cohort on the way... Uh, the the fully qualified workforce continues to fall. Um, And this is happening partly because doctors are simply leaving the professional together. Um, The the headcount number of fully qualified GPs, that's the the number of actual individuals working in general practice as opposed to the full-time equivalent figure, has fallen by nearly 650 over the past year. Uh, And and meanwhile, numbers of GPs working full-time, which NHS Digital counts as 37 and a half hours a week or more, Uh, are falling because more and more GPs say it simply isn't sustainable to work full-time in general practice because of the intense pressure. Uh, And there's also no guarantee that all of the GP trainees coming through the system will choose to work in UK general practice and no guarantee around how many hours they'll work if they do. So clearly some of the information we're seeing around how intensity and heavy workload in general practice is affecting doctors, which Luke's going to talk about in a bit, is likely to put even more doctors off, so it is a vicious circle. As as the BMA's um, GP committee deputy chair, Dr Kieran Sharrock, said this week, the latest figures show practice staff working at unsafe levels, going above and beyond to meet the needs of their patients, and it's not sustainable. So they're, they're calling on the government to work with the profession, to put in place solutions to address these pressures, and that message desperately needs to get through soon.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is. I think it's worth mentioning, isn't it, as well, though, when we talk about 37.5 hours a week, that's the kind of hours that GPs are contracted to work. So full-time hours, but most people go well above those hours. And, and the number of GPs you speak to who maybe only work three days a week officially, but within those three days, they're doing the equivalent of full-time work. So, yeah, those figures and, and the way people categorise full-time, it, it, it's kind of not really a true picture of what's going on. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, Luke, I was going to bring you in here because um, you spoke to Dr. Amy Small on last week's podcast about her involvement in the Rebuild General Practice campaign. Um, And that campaign is really aiming to highlight the many problems facing general practice. And one thing it's calling for is a massive recruitment drive to tackle some of those issues that Nick was talking about there. Um, The campaign is backed by funding from the GP Defence Fund and supported by the BMA. And, you know, it's looking at these challenges across the UK, not just in In England, Um, the campaign undertook a survey recently of GPs and it really does show the strain they are under personally, doesn't it?
2: So the statistic from this that we particularly highlighted in our reporting was that more than four in five GPs have experienced work-related anxiety, stress or depression in the past year. So the survey found that 84% of around 1,300 GPs had experienced these symptoms in the last year um, due to what's happening at work, with Scottish GPs recording the highest levels. But um, in all honesty, there wasn't too much in it between GPs from other nations, such as England and Wales. Over half of respondents said that working as a GP wasn't compatible with um, with a healthy family life and um, a similar proportion said they wouldn't recommend general practice in 2022 as a career path to family and friends, which is quite sad to see really. In fact, half of respondents said that they had seen GPs leave the profession in the past five years due to unmanageable workloads, um, while 48% said they'd seen GPs quit because of mental health or burnout issues. So all of this paints a pretty bleak picture and cements uh, what's been reported by GPs anecdotally in the media and on Twitter in the past year, with many exposing the pressures of working in general practice and the effects of this and, ha- and what it's having on them and their mental health um, and overall health. It also shows um, just what that huge demand for care is doing to the profession and how clinicians are, are being, I guess for, for want of a better phrase, running to the ground and looking towards the exit.
0: Yeah, I mean, the survey also revealed a rather appalling statistic that one in four GPs knew of a colleague in their area who'd taken their own life due to work-related pressures, didn't it?
2: Yeah, so the survey found that just under a quarter of GPs know a colleague in their area who's died by suicide um, because of work-related stress, which is the crucial bit to um, highlight there. Um, It's because of work. Obviously, that's too high a number. Um, Any number above zero really would be. But I think that the stat goes to show just how widely pressures are being felt by primary care staff and how how stresses don't just disappear the minute you leave the surgery. They stay with you and affect your personal life and happiness too. So it's vitally important that campaigns like the Rebuild General Practice one and others keep banging the drum around pressures on staff and highlighting wellbeing issues.
0: Obviously, the most important thing that needs to be done to address the crisis in general practice is to recruit more GPs, retain more GPs and recruit other members of the multidisciplinary team to work in primary care. Um, the Rebuild General Practice campaign is really trying to frame this as much about patient safety as well as the doctor's well-being aspect that you've been talking about there. And the government claims it 's committed to recruiting more doctors, and, and it was an election pledge at the last election, but as the stats that Nick discussed earlier shows they 're not really doing very well at it at all um, and Then Last week, we also saw that MPs voted down a proposed amendment to the health and care bill at its final reading that would have um, seen stronger workforce planning enforced in the NHS the amendment would have required the Health and Social Care Secretary to provide an assessment every two years on the current and future workforce needs for the NHS in England. Luke, who was backing that amendment and what's the reaction been to it being rejected?
2: Yeah, so I'll do this in two parts sort of a before and then, a, then an after. So the amendment had wide backing from healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders, specifically from um, general practice. So the RCGP placed its support behind the amendment from the beginning and the college's chair uh, Professor Martin Marshall was particularly vocal on the subject. Um, In March, he described the bill as a crucial window of opportunity to address one of the key causes of pressure on GPs um, by tackling historic uh, poor workforce planning. The BMA had also backed the amendment, which um, with its deputy chair, Dr David Wrigley, making pretty much exactly the same point as um, Professor Marshall. More than 1,000 GPs wrote to their MP to support the amendment, while former Health um, and Social Care Secretary Jeremy Hunt backed the amendment. Um, And it was actually a proposal by Mr Hunt um, that inspired the, the appeal. So... Following the vote, you can probably tell how the amendments rejection went down. Among the most vocal critics has been Professor Marshall, who accused MPs of failing general practice by refusing to agree the amendment. Um, Professor Marshall said in a lengthy tweet or a lengthy um, Twitter thread... After the decision, um, that it was a huge blow and a missed opportunity. He also stressed that the NHS needed a workforce plan and again called on the government to deliver their 6,000 extra GPs it's promised the profession by 2024. Um, Dr Wrigley also responded on behalf of the BMA. Um, He said that he was utterly dismayed at the vote, adding that the bill, which has now been granted royal assent, fails to uh, address the huge shortfall of staff. He also questions how seriously the government is taking taking the staffing issue and said it, um, that it was impossible to plan for the future without these regular assessments. So overall, and just to sum up really quickly, um, I would say that there's a feeling here that the government has dropped a huge clangor by failing to implement this amendment. And I think people feel that it almost gives them a bit of a get out of jail free card because they can't be held accountable to specific targets to improve the current workforce woes that we're seeing.
0: Moving on, another story that we reported on last week was a delay in the process for adding GPs to the specialist register. The government announced plans as part of a consultation last March to replace the specialist and GP registers with one single register. Specialist status, including being a GP, would be reflected by an annotation on the register under the plans. It was initially expected that this would happen by spring this year, but it seems to be delayed. Firstly, Nick, what are the arguments for doing this? And is this something that GPs actually want?
1: recognition of GPs as specialists and parity with hospital doctors in that regard in terms of how they how they're seen on the medical register is something that general practice has been calling for for many years. In 2016 the RCGP and BMA put out a joint statement calling for GPs to be recognised as specialists and said the move was long overdue and the reasoning is, is pretty obvious. GPs have completed five years of postgraduate training, they've completed their GP training and exams, they have a breadth of knowledge that allows them to diagnose and manage complex cases involving patients at all stages of their lives. They are specialist generalists and doctors in other medical specialties are not equipped to do the work that they do. So this change will involve a move to a single medical register, as you mentioned, um, with doctors' specialist qualifications, including as a GP, being marked alongside their entry on the register. Uh, And the the BMA and RCGP have long argued, as I mentioned, that that giving GP specialist status or parity with uh, other specialists would give them equal status to consultants, recognise their expertise clearly, and at the same time, encourage junior doctors, medical students to consider GP careers as options of equal status to those that you find
2: in hospitals.
0: Yeah, and Luke, I mean, what's going on with the delay? And when does the government see things moving forward if it's not going to happen this spring?
2: So as you say, the proposal to add GPs to the specialist register was supposed to be passed in legislation by spring this year. That's what the GMC had originally predicted. However, the government confirmed to us last week that draft legislation will only now be consulted on later this year. So the process has hit a snag somewhere. I know that with other bills, the phrase that they kept using or government kept using was that there was a Lack of parliamentary time, so whether this has played a factor. But um, we don't have any firm information on that um, other than it's been delayed until later this year. When we asked the GMC, the regulator said it was unsure on the new timescales and when we could see the change implemented. So we're just going to have to keep tabs on this one. But it's worth remembering that the GMC can't do anything until it's been given um, those legislative powers um, to change how its register works. So it's really on the government.
0: Great, thank you. Next week is the UK LMC's conference. GP representatives from local medical committees will be meeting in York to discuss some of the key issues affecting the profession on Tuesday and Wednesday. If you're listening and you've never been to an LMC's conference before, what happens is that delegates debate and vote on a whole range of motions and how the votes fall effectively gives the BMA GP committees in the four countries an indication of which sort of issues they should be pursuing in contract negotiations and any other discussions with the government's. Unsurprisingly, a fairly dominant theme from the programme this year is workload. Nick, one of the motions that caught our eye was one that also made the front page of the Daily Mail about opening hours, and another was about safe working limits.
1: Yeah, so so core hours for general practice currently are 8am, 6.30pm. And a conference motion put forward by Avon LMC says urgent actions needed to tackle the mismatch between workload and workforce in general practice, something we've discussed today already. Uh, And this motion proposes reducing GP core hours to nine to five. The the GP who wrote the motion asked on social media why general practice should be the only profession whose core hours are ten and a half hours per day. And despite howls of complaint from the mail, other senior GPs framed it as part of the debate around safe working hours in general practice. We reported earlier this year that GPs were delivering not far off double the number of consultations per day that's considered safe in BMA guidance. And limiting workload to a reasonable level is one of the ways doctors hope to make the profession an attractive career prospect again. And you mentioned a motion on safe working limits too. And and that motion calls for the BMA's GP committees across the UK to renegotiate the GMS contract to include workload limits. And GPs will also debate calls to develop Plans to introduce safe workload limits for general practice that would not put doctors in breach of contract. Um, and so, not for the first time, and I'm sure not for the last, workload's going to be front and centre at this year's LMC's conference.
0: There's a theme debate on unresourced workload, which I think will also be pretty interesting. I think we're going to see LMC representatives really talk about the pressure practice are coming. Under to take work from hospitals here. you know Workload dump, as it's referred to, has been a real problem for years, but I think in the wake of the pandemic, it seems to have spiralled out of control. GPs regularly report that they're getting letters from hospitals, effectively ordering them to start patients on specific treatments or take on monitoring of patients which would have previously been undertaken in hospital. There's no money that comes into general practice to cover this work. And that's all on top of the fact that, as we've talked about on the podcast repeatedly, GPs are already under huge pressure dealing with the fallout of the backlog of care and having to manage patients who are waiting much, much longer for treatment. You know, we've also seen the rollout of advice and guidance services, which in some parts of the country, GPs actually have to use before they can even refer. And what this often means also is that GPs are advised on how best to manage patients in the community who might well have ended up under the care of hospitals in the past. And use of advice of these guidance services is also seen by NHS England as a key part of reducing the backlog of care and it's mentioned quite prominently in the elective recovery plan. So I think LMC's will be really highlighting their objections to some aspects of how these systems are being used as well. And again, this potentially means more work for practices with no more money. So I think what we're going to see is some quite strong pushback from the profession in this debate. And I expect delegates will be hoping that national representatives will be taking that on board in future discussions with the UK governments. Nick, were there any other motions that you think would be interesting?
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a really interesting theme debate in this year's conference programme around the possible formation of a national association of LMCs. It's not completely clear what that would look like and what it would do, and that's part of what the debate will cover. Um, but it is clear that this debate is part of uh, another theme that's been running for some time namely, dissatisfaction with the leadership of general practice. Mm-hmm. Um, LMC's submitted a whole series of motions that are heavily critical of the BMA's GP committee which negotiates contracts and represents the profession and many of these motions have been wrapped up in the framing of the debate around a national association of LMC's so basically LMC's which represent grassroots GPs across the country or at least some LMC's are seriously considering trying to strip funding and control over GP contract negotiations from the BMA's GP committee and they're concerned that the current structure doesn't adequately represent either GP partners or sessional GPs because of the inherent conflict of interest that this represents. Some GPs would argue, of course, that the interests of partners and sessional GPs are one and the same on the basis that, Well-supported partners running strong practices means more opportunities for work for sessional GPs. Um, But as we've reported this year, there's been some strong feeling that the BMA's GP committee hasn't stood up strongly enough against NHS England, initially over comments around face-to-face appointments, and more recently in response to the imposition of contract changes for 2022-23. The, the committee itself has called for unity and for general practice to pull together at a time when the profession is, as we've discussed, under unprecedented pressure. Um, but there's a lot of anger in general practice around the failure to address long-standing pressures that have been exacerbated by the pandemic. And we may well see some tough votes such as these go against the BMA leadership at the conference this year. And interestingly, uh, a national association of LMC's already exists in that the, the GP Defence Fund established a company of that name last year following an earlier debate. So exactly how that develops could be mapped out in the coming days.
0: Yeah, I think it will be uh, definitely an interesting couple of days. Um, And you can obviously find all the news from the LMC's conference on our website next week on Tuesday and Wednesday. Finally today, we just have time to highlight some good news and this one's a bit different to normal. I just wanted to flag that at the end of April, London GP Dr Shahnaz Kamachi appeared on an episode of BBC Gardener's World providing advice on how to grow citrus trees and showcasing her really amazing collection of around 30 different trees. Dr Kamachi actually wrote about her gardening hobby for GP Online at the end of last year. And in both that piece and on Gardener's World, she spoke about how she became interested in gardening, how gardening has helped her cope with her own stress and anxiety, and why she's increased prescribing or recommending gardening to her patients, particularly in light of growing mental health issues as a result of the pandemic. You can find the link to Dr. Kamachi's Gardener's World segment and the article she wrote for GP Online in the notes for this episode. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening and thanks to Nick and Luke. I'm back next week when I'll be speaking to Dr. Tommy Perkins and Dr. Ed Cantello, two GPs who set up the company Medics Money to help educate doctors about finance and ensure they had access to reliable financial information. As well as explaining how their careers took this interesting turn, they've also got some practical advice for GPs on what to think about with their finances at different stages of their careers. In the meantime, you keep up with all the latest news affecting general practice on our website at gponline.com.